Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show, where you will learn how to seek, select, and secure sustainable love. My first guest is Dr. Jackie Del Rosario. This interview was originally recorded in September of 2017. And my next guest, and continuing with that theme, is Dr. Jacqueline Del Rosario. She is America's marriage coach. Dr. Rosario is the president and CEO of Recapturing the Vision International, an organization dedicated to promoting healthy marriages and family strengthening. She's also an author, speaker, regarded media personality. She's been certified in pre- and post-marital counseling for more than 20 years. Her cutting-edge series, Marriage Solutions and the Marital Constitution, helps couples successfully work through problems and find health, healthy solutions to conflict. Welcome, Dr. Jackie. Hello. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I am wonderful. And yourself? I'm doing well. I am excited have- about our topic today. Oh, me too. It is, it is the life force. So let's talk about from fizzle to sizzle, how to reignite your relationship when the pilot light might be on simmer. That's right. Because, you know, there's a lot of things that create wear and tear on our relationship and they kind of diminish that, that sizzle and cause us to fizzle a little bit. So we want to talk about how to get that sizzle back up to turn the heat up again in our romance. Uh, how do we do it? Well, there's so many things that we need to do. I'm just going to give you a couple. The first thing you need to do is let's identify the things that are mood killers, those things that shut our partner down, the buttons that we push and that sort of thing that create unnecessary conflict. Because, you know, how can we be romantic and passionate when we're also upset? So we want to minimize angst in the relationship or any, any form of conflict. Ah, that may be, be um, easier said than done. You know, we were talking about with Dr. Caldwell in the prior two segments about, you know, the I am upset because, you know, being in that state of agitation and ways to diffuse that. So in an ideal world, we would be able to, you know, put aside the anxiety, put aside those stressors and just, you know, show up bright eyed and bushy tailed ready for play. But let me give you another aspect of that. I think we have to look at history. There are some baggage that we come to the relationship with. There, our history is going to dictate what makes us upset or how we're processing situations within the relationship. And it could be that very process that we, we put ourselves through that creates the conflict. So sometimes knowing your partner's history, understanding why they feel the way that they do creates uh, empathy, also understanding, and makes that process a lot easier. It's, it's, it's a foe that you can definitely tackle 
uh, in the relationship. And it has more meaning now. It's something that instead of taking the two of you uh, to separate corners in the room, it brings you together. Oh, I agree. I agree. Uh, understanding your partner's hot but- buttons, understanding, you know, the baggage that they bring into the relationship that we all bring into relationship and to um, have empathy for that because of the positive, the unconditional positive regard, at least I hope that we have for our partners, it makes um, those triggers, our ability to understand them a little bit easier. But it's still hard, I would posit, to, to just to put it away, you know, to put it in the locker and say, I'm, 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 I'm not going to pay attention to that right now. Um, but it, it yet, on the other hand, we must be willing to sort of put that stuff away in order to create presence, to create connection, to create flow with our partners and with ourselves. Absolutely. You know that that's true. But then there's the other point. You got to remember that you're married to your spouse and not to your children. And though this sounds also easy, it's a common mistake. And it's also a common mistake of those of us that are the nurturers in the relationship. Why? Because we are so involved. We understand that the children are, are vulnerable that they're innocent and naive. And so we tend to change the hierarchy in the relationship and begin to put children first instead of our mates first. Yes. And I do see this a lot that, um, that, that typically it is the, the, the stay at home partner, you know, most likely mom in many cases that, uh, puts the children first, that feels as though those needs must be met above and beyond, um, priority to, to, to the partner. And, um, when those children go off to school, mom is often left having to really reinvent her life and herself. Right. Because she has an empty nest now. What I say is disassemble the nest and let's continue to be engaged with our own reality and our own existence. I think that, um, children are happier and healthier when they grow up to be self-reliant and we need not over uh, encumber ourselves with the fact that they need so much help or that they're so innocent and defenseless. When we keep our hierarchy in order, that org chart for our relationship, everything flows the way that it's supposed to. And then what happens is when the kids go off uh, to college, you've not lost that connection between your mate and yourself. There's no um, lack of intimacy there. You've not become detached and life goes on. And it's even richer and sweeter again, because instead of, oh, what are we going to do now? We're twiddling our our thumbs. You're saying, oh, goody, we have more time for just us now. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, Lisa, I remember when when I had had my two sons and, you know, we everything was with the children because they kind of take over your schedule. If you're not careful, they will encroach on every area of your life. And I am a very dedicated, hands-on mom. So that was certainly my plight. And I remember that we went away for the first time without the kids, uh, and we went away for our anniversary, and I was really apprehensive. I didn't know what I was going to do all this time alone with my husband because it just hadn't happened in about four to five years since I'd had children, and it was a beautiful thing. It's like riding a bike, though. You know, luckily enough for us, we started when the kids were only a couple. They were only five years old, four and five. We were able to regain that quickly. We didn't lose any time or any traction, if you will. But what about couples that have waited and they have finally gotten to empty nest and still the children are the nucleus of their existence, of their life, of their daily activity? Well, what I say to them is reconnect. Yes. Begin to figure out what were the things that you did that you had in common and that you really enjoyed from the beginning and begin to factor those things in. 
And for the listeners that aren't quite at empty nest, prepare, (laughs) get things in order now because it's going to be much less painful. And this time of separation can turn into a time of beautiful passion and uh, connectedness with your mate. Agreed. And I want to mention something else about the nature of our relationships and what they demonstrate to our children, that if we are in a connected, loving, passionate, intimate relationship with our partners, with our spouse, and um, the children see that that base is secure and kind and respectful and demonstrative of all the things that we attribute to being in good relationship, our children are more likely to go out and seek that for themselves. Well, first of all, we know that people can't recreate what they've never seen. So the very context uh, of your child's ideas about a relationship are going to be framed by what they've seen you and and your husband do. So, you know, I I tell couples all the time, this is not just about you, but it's about who you've brought into the planet. Those children that you've birthed into the planet, you're responsible for their purview, if you will, or their perspective of how they see the world uh, on some part, certainly what they see the world like inside of the family. And so uh, holding the peace, keeping your tongue and that sort of thing is important, not just because it's good for the relationship, but also because it's good for your children. So I like what you just said. I think it's a powerful statement and one that we need to rehearse over and over again, just to remind ourselves, you know, of just how critical our roles are as parents and even as a married couple. Agreed. And also, I think we can talk about it in the context of uncoupling and divorce because it's so prevalent. It's a fact of life. The way we um, disengage from marriage, if that's what is present and going on within the family unit, is just as important. So that, that, that concept of choosing to be in a dignified place in your communication with your, your present partner or ex, if you have gone through a divorce, is equally as important in patterning relationship for the kids. It is. It is. Absolutely. And, you know, we want to avoid the common pitfalls, you know, showing our, our, our um, angst against our mate to our children, introducing them into the conflict, um, and even souring their opinion of, um, of our mate and the divorce process, or even using them as pawns. Those are things that are very detrimental to children. And I even count for couples where they're still dealing with the effects of that, even as they're adults. So we know that's a very uh, impactful um, process. And so we want to make it as as good as possible, as easy as possible for our children. And I think we just have to take ownership and be responsible to make sure that it is smooth for them, as smooth as possible. And take ownership for ourselves. You know, like Dr. Caldwell and I were talking about, would you rather be right or be happy? And I think, you know, because the topic of this show is cultivating greater happiness in our lives, I think that that becomes the real talking point, you know, in relationship. What is it that we're actually trying to achieve with our partner? Is it, you know, having harmony, having a a fun life and a good time and, 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 and thriving, which I think we can hands down agree is the mutual goal that we say we want, or is our positionality of being, of, of standing, you know, hard and true with our hands on our hips, stamping our foot. This is the way I want it to happen. Um, what keeps us from the place that we say we want to get to? Yeah, but I think that people don't know how to get there. See, it's, it, it, of course, people want to just be happy. But then there's so many things that create interference in that process. 
So we're talking about triggers and hot buttons and those things. Those are things that wire the way your brain functions. And those are things that play in the background. So we're not even always conscious of what we're doing. Some of those things are on autoplay. And so we have to recognize that in a relationship, even though we've had this conversation, even though listeners might have listened today and they might have employed some of the techniques or some of the tools, it is a progressive work. It's not done overnight. It didn't take the person to embed these ideals into their psyche in one day. And it's also going to take time for them to undo them and to rewire the brain. Let's remember now, our brain supports our, our current activities. In other words, that's how a habit is formed. If you're used to doing something over and over again, the brain wires to support that action. Now we're trying to break an action that the, the brain has been wired to do. That's why it plays in the background. You know how you drive your job and you get there and you, and you weren't even thinking about where to turn because it's in the background. It's something that your brain is just, it's, it's on autopilot. And so I want to encourage people that are out there listening today that are thinking about, you know, I'm sick and tired of this or that, and I want these things to work. Hold on. They will work if you do the work and if you're patient and consistent throughout the time of doing the work. I think that a lot of people try hard, but they try hard with the wrong recipe or with a lack of understanding, or they have the wrong context. So the outcome is going to be wrong. Uh, so um, I just want to give that as a seed of encouragement that you can make change, but just know that in our society, we used to everything being instantaneous, microwave generation. It can happen. It will happen if you do the work. And if you're patient, understand that it is a process. And we are going to go to a break with that. And I want to say that the only thing that we know for sure in life is that change is a common. You're listening to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. My guest in this segment is Dr. Jackie Del Rosario. To learn more, go to drjackie.com, on Twitter at Ask Dr. Jackie, and on Facebook, Dr. Jackie. It's, those tunes are coming and we know that that's changed. And when we come back, we're going to talk about communication styles and making passionate moments a priority. You're listening to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. My guest today, Dr. Jackie Del Rosario. Before we take a little pause, I want to show some respect for the new normal and the extreme summer heat wave we're experiencing. And when the temperature surges, I grab a little refreshing indoor staycation with Best Fiends. Best Fiends is my favorite casual mobile puzzle game with more than 100 million downloads, and it's much more fun than any other ones out there. What I love most is that Best Fiends gives my brain a refreshing pause and challenges my mind in new ways to strategize and conquer new levels. This gives me a shot of adrenaline and makes me feel like an absolute winner. I'm working my way towards level 4,905 and counting. 30 minutes of play feels like 30 seconds. My oh my, how time flies when you're having fun. Best Fiends is my go-to digital play pal, and I'm happily hooked. And if you're anything like me, you will be too. The fun never ends at Best Fiends because there are constant updates and always something new to explore. There's no game over with thousands of puzzle levels. You'll never run out of goals to achieve. Don't blame me if you end up kind of obsessed and find yourself playing in strange places. So go ahead and play more. Come join me for a squeaky clean good time. Download the five-star rated puzzle game Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Now let's take that quick break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. 
To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. We're back continuing the conversation with Dr. Jackie Del Rosario, which was originally recorded in September of 2017. We're talking about seeking, selecting, and securing sustainable love. So, Dr. Jackie, let's talk about communication style and how important that is the cornerstone of any relationship. How important is it to be flexible and perhaps multilingual in our approaches? It's very important because communication is how we get on the same page. But unfortunately, when I say the word um, effervescent, you see pictures of bubbles. I might see a windy day, uh, you know, with the breeze of the water on top of the water um, with, with just a little bubbles on the top. We all get a different visual image as we speak various words. So that's just on the surface of communication. But let's drill down. In relationships, one of the most common things that I find with my couples are the communication problems that that stem from gender differences. So we got to learn in short order to speak male, and our mates need to learn to speak female because there's a way that we communicate with nuances. Men are very visual, so they, they tend, tend to take certain cues, but they're not as detail-oriented. So I noticed that women pick up on uh, a lot of unspoken cues. Men need a lot of times direct communication. So you can't beat around the bush and expect that they're going to understand your hidden meaning. Um, those gender difference really create a lot of conflict. And it might leave you in your relationship saying, well, yeah, that sounds good, Dr. Jackie, but he just doesn't get me. <laughs> Could it be that he just doesn't get the female nuances of our communication style? Um, one of the things I always like to pair it is, you know, we are wired differently. Men have one to two language centers, women three to five. So think about it. Quite a difference in the way that we see the world and communicate what we see. So I think that we need to be patient. Men also take more time, did you know, when we're communicating with them and we need an answer. Suppose you're in a stressful situation, you're conf- confronting them with something that you're unhappy about. And they might not be responsive. You might think that they're just, you know, taking everything very lightly, but it's really that they need more time to process. So a man will typically even do better when they're able to walk away and come back later and rejoin the conversation. But on the other hand, if you have a disagreement with your husband, you go to bed, when they wake up, they feel like everything is done. But you can pick up on the same sentence that you left off on last night and complete the conversation. So we have different perspectives about the way we see the world and we see ourselves and our relationships based solely on our gender. Well, I do believe that the gender does play uh, a huge part in this communication style. Um, and I do think that women can benefit from the, learning a little bit of the simplistic ways that men communicate. And men could be well served to learn a little bit more about the nuances and meta messaging that goes on in the female conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Erickson says that there is, when he talks about the different stages of development, he basically says that in his theory in psychology that as men get older, they begin to really understand the female side and they become more feminine in their activities and actions and thought processes. And the same, the opposite occurs for females. 
So we can always already see that there's that natural evolution and melding as we, you know, we grow on in our relationship. It's necessary to create harmony and to keep us on the same page. And, you know, I think it's probably important to mention that the skills that we're talking about on the show and within these these two segments that we're on together for is applicable to any kind of relationship. Of course, where there are children involved, there's a little bit of a caveat in, you know, where the focus lies. But this concept of, um, you know, learning to communicate well, taking ownership for the baggage we arrive at the door with, um, understanding that we need patience, we need uh, kindness towards ourselves and empathy towards our partners as well as ourselves. These are universal skills that apply to any relationship. And the more practice we get at it, the more proficient we become. And that's where the change begins to occur. Yes, absolutely. Well said. Um, let's talk about passion because we talked about that with Dr. Caldwell in, in the prior segments and passion is such a, a priority and we're not necessarily speaking of carnal passion, although there's nothing wrong with that. I think just about igniting passion in our lives needing to be a priority. Well, passion is really important, but one of the key things that I've noted is passion is directly correlated to um, spontaneity. As spontaneity in your relationship changes or diminishes, so does passion. It tends to diminish as well. Now, while we know that that those butterflies and all those wonderful feelings of euphoria that you get at the beginning of a relationship are chemical reactions. Those are things that are going off in the brain. Those chemicals diminish within months of us meeting and really becoming enamored with the person that we're falling in love with. But there's another level of passion that I think we want to talk about, which is that level that keeps you feeling so connected and so um, um, uh, united with your mate in terms of the chemistry of the relationship and the sexual unity of the relationship. And I think that that's what we're talking about. So what we notice is that as the mundane crops in, as certain things with our careers and our just our life pattern begin to encroach on our, our intimate times, we see that passion type sort of fizzles. And so to me, one of the direct correlations is certainly um, reintroducing this whole idea of spontaneity. And I believe you can have spontaneity still on a calendar to some measure so that it's practical mm-hmm. and applicable to, to people today. I agree you know, that you make it relevant and you, and, and you, and you, you plan for the space for it to occur. That's right. That's what I mean. Exactly. You plan for the space. And that, that takes a dedication because you really have to put that first. And there's so many things that we know um, that we ought to do, but we don't always do because there's always a reason why not. But this is something that is a pure investment in your future happiness. And, you know, when I look at people that have gotten caught up in infidelity, sure, there's a multiplicity of reasons why we do. But one of the things that I've noticed, one of the reasons is because men really lack a lot of refusal skills. You know, women are, are taught to say no from the time we're very young. You want to go to a dance? No. You want to kiss? No. You know, will you marry me? No. Men, who, who asks them anything like in, in that sort of a manner, in an interpersonal way that they have to say no relationally? And so I think that men, because men also don't recognize these subtle nuances, nuances, half the time they don't even know a woman's asking them until it's too late. She's already coming for the kill, you know. Yeah, but yeah. I, think that, I think that there's this issue, though, of that, that feeling, that rush that they get from that excitement, that sheer excitement of this, this new person. There's a proverb, you know, stolen water is sweet. 
And I think that there's that excitement because there's something hidden. But I also think that there's a, that excitement that is roused because it's something that's just off script. And so we got to make sure that we have off script experiences integrated throughout our relationship and that everything is not, you know, okay, now I do this and then we're going to do that. And it's not just by the book every time. And so that you keep that passion in your own relationship. And I think that it will more readily retard any sort of uh, encroachment from any other angle. You know, there's another strategy that I have um, employed in my own life, and it is the concept of looking at my partner in a different light. And this requires that we slow down a little bit, but it's often if you look at your partner and see them functioning in his or her professional life, for example, and you see how they interact with, you know, their public, their peers, and you begin to notice these aspects of your partner that attracted to him attracted you to him or her in the beginning. And when you see that in action years later, it can be quite charming and quite, um, quite a turn on actually. So it's, you know, slowing down to, um, to find that little, uh, flame of passion for what you fell in love with to begin with. I love that. But I also want to say that sometimes as people evolve, because remember we in relationships, we're no longer the same person that we were 20 years ago. That Because sometimes that's what people say. Well, I want to feel the way I used to feel. Impossible. You're no longer the right. same two people. But what, what keeps what you're discussing alive is self-talk. Self-talk is a marvelous strategy that I want to, it's my closing item before I have to run. But self-talk is about the whole notion of rehearsing in the mind by talking to yourself. Like say, for example, if it was, I love my husband's profile. I think he's so handsome. I love his beautiful profile. And so I will look at that today and say, I love his profile. I love this man so much. You know, I can't see my life without him. Whatever it is that I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as I'm and- saying that to myself, that actually continues to keep that connection strong. Um, and it's something that women tend to find it easier to do than men. But I really do rec- recognize that it's a powerful, powerful tool um, you could even say to yourself, I am so attracted to my, my mate. I love them. I desire them so much. Say that to yourself. And, you know, and you'll this- see that it will begin to produce a crop uh, that you'll be very happy to harvest. Yeah, in, 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 indeed. And, you know, it's been said that, you know, where you focus your attention is where you find yourself. So and and this goes for any type of emotion, both positive and negative. And it really is the not so secret secret. You know, if you want to produce more joy, more passion, more connection in your life, then it starts with yourself. You know, you got to work on it within yourself and then it it, it radiates outward. We have had an amazing hour reviewing and discussing the art and joy of relationship with our guests. Here comes that break. We'll be right back. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. Continuing the 
the conversation about seeking, selecting, and securing sustainable love. My next guest is Christina Pinetta, and this interview was originally recorded in May of 2018. And my guest today is one of those matchmakers. Yep, matchmaking has made a comeback. Christina Pineda is co-founder and executive matchmaker at Matchmakers in the City. After studying at Oxford University, Pineda achieved her master's degree. With her years of professional matchmaking experience, Christina utilizes strategy and critical eye while working with her clients. A Matchmaking Institute certified matchmaker and member of the Board of Advisors for the Dating Experts Bureau, Christina has worked with thousands of clients in Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, and the UK. Christina was introduced to her own husband by her sister and co-founder, Alessandra. She got married in April and of 2017, so she's just celebrated uh, a year's anniversary and is enjoying her life as a newlywed. Welcome. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's so great to speak with you. Well, I can't wait to get into this conversation because um, back in the day, and we're talking practically like another century or literally another century, um, Mm -hmm. matchmaking was the methodology by which many people made their love connection. Yes. Yes, you're right. Talk a little bit about the process, the history of matchmaking, and then how it contrasts with dating and hooking up in a digital age. Sure. Well, in previous times, I guess it it just, there were more boundaries to meet people. And families were, I guess, closer with each other. You, You wanted to introduce your daughter or son to someone who you already knew and just there's this whole filtering process that would go on and yes there were matchmakers and as you can think of everyone when they meet me sings the matchmaker matchmaker make me a match from fiddler on the roof which is great um, so there were matchmakers, especially in different communities like Jewish communities and Indian communities. It's a very much a part of those cultures. But really, the the matchmaking would also happen with, within families and moms and dads would do it. And as I mentioned, there was a lot of filtering of potential suitors, whereas nowadays there's a shift because A lot of times people are living in cities by themselves. The daughters and sons are living in cities by themselves in their own apartments or with a roommate, whatever it is. But there isn't daddy at the door preventing preventing bad boys from coming in. (laughs) So that is actually an issue nowadays. And there's so many ways of connecting and meeting people which is great, but there's very little filtering that goes on in those methods. And that's why people come to matchmakers in the city because they want that, just the curated match. They want the the person, a man or woman for them who is someone who is background checked, who has a clean record, who's actually genuinely looking for love, not just to hook up. You really don't know if you're just meeting online or meeting on an app. However, there are success stories. I don't mean to to say it doesn't work for some people, but people really have turned to us because they want some of that old school charm and just that in-person connection that is lost nowadays. 
So it's bringing back the art of live connection and relationship between the matchmaker and the parties who are looking for that special mate. And I love what you said about it being a curated experience. So, for example, somebody would come to you who perhaps they've been married before. Perhaps they have a family, their children are on their way and they're looking for love again. What would the experience be like to, to come and see you? Yes. Well, that happens quite frequently. And we work with just about every single age from being 21 to to 70s and even early 80s sometimes, depending on the person. But generally, um, it's more people who who have recently been divorced or are in there. So I would say the most common ages that we work with are 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and early 60s. That's, I guess, the general general age bracket that we work within. But it is difficult for people who are emerging into the dating market, into this culture that I just explained, from having the experience that I mentioned before of of meeting people through introductions of family members or matchmakers and emerging into a place where there are no boundaries. So it is kind of like a relearning for people who have been divorced or widowed that they, that they come to us, that the date coaching element is huge in what we do to help them to navigate the tricky dating waters. Well, I think you make a really good point that part of the role of a modern matchmaker is this coaching aspect of teaching people who have been out of the marketplace, you know, somebody who's older and and perhaps has gone through a divorce or who has lost a spouse to death um, to learn that protocol all over again, where you're used to being in that relationship that was kind of like the, the comfortable <laughs> tennis shoe. Yes, that is so true. And I think something that is also important, it's even if someone is in a relationship, we were chatting about this a little bit before, but even if someone's still in a relationship, they come, they might come to us for relationship coaching because a lot of the same elements in dating apply to keeping your relationship alive and fresh in a marriage or in just any any phase of a relationship, really, because when it becomes too comfortable, then people start to lose that just the the love feeling that they've had before. And love ebbs and flows. It's not something that's the same all the time. But there are definitely things that we date coach people that are tools that I always say this: these are tools that you're not only going to to need for dating. You're going to use these in your your boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. You'll use it in engagement and then also in marriage. These are things that you'll have forever. That's why this isn't just to get it. When you come to Matchmakers in the City, it's not just about, okay, we're gonna, going to give you a great guy and then that's it. No, this is sustainable growth and sustainable change. We like to use the analogy of, okay, a third world country that there has very little water. You could either go in, give a, a child a water bottle, or you could help the town build a well. And then they have sustainable water through for many, many, many years. 
And that's what we're doing here. We're teaching people those skills so that they can use them over and over again. Sometimes they need a, we all need a little refresher, but yeah. And the, you know, the refresher that I see is so key to this whole thing is emotional and social intelligence, you know, like teaching people how to articulate their feelings, how to identify and read the room or read another person, how to maintain one's own identity and self-esteem when you're embarking on attempting to merge with another person, right? To form a partnership. Yes. Yes, that is completely true. And that is something that we have to really work with people. That's why it's not just about getting the matches here at Matchmakers in the City. We are full service matchmakers because a lot of people need that coaching in order to enter into and sustain a healthy relationship. Because one of the things that causes the most unhappiness in life for people is that singleness time and relationships just can be a very common cause of unhappiness. And then someone might say, oh, a matchmaker is the, can solve all my unhappiness issues. Just if I have a, the perfect man or the perfect woman, then that will go away. But that's not true. That's a lie. It's yeah. no one person can fulfill you. And yes, there is a normal, if someone is called to the married life, there is that craving inside or that longing for a future husband or future wife. But it's, it's, there isn't also, you're able to have joy without a man or a woman. It, it has to be that we, people have to understand that as they're being matched. That's, and that's what we work on a lot of times as well. So it speaks to that self-esteem place, you know, happiness being an inside job, which is so much right. of what we focus on the show here that, you know, when you have two people who come together who are each individually happy within themselves, content with the kind of person that they are as an individual, it's a lot more easy to attract and stay connected to somebody who's also in that space because you're two complete beings that are coming together. Exactly. And the thing is, the only the only one who can really fulfill us is God, is the Lord. and we can't, that people can't expect another person to fill them completely. Or it's normal to have a longing, even if you're married to have a little, because we're not, this is, this life is not the end all be all end all. So just for people to understand that is really kind of like a, a journey and an exciting one at that, because when they're coming here, they're, they're, they're delving deep, more deeply into themselves and into the existence of their lives and their identity. We are going to jump off to a break. And when we come back, we'll carry on the conversation with Christina Panetta, who is the co-founder and executive matchmaker at Matchmakers in the City. To learn more, please visit www.matchmakersinthecity.com. You can connect with the team at Matchmakers ITC. And on Facebook, that page is Matchmakers in the City. Here comes that break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, a boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness, is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious. 
and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. Continuing the conversation with Christina Pinetta, which was originally recorded in May of 2018. We're talking about seeking, selecting, and securing sustainable love. Let's get back to it. So, Christina, prior to the break, we were talking a little bit about happiness being sort of an internal construct and that no one relationship or person can make us happy. That if we're not in a state of personal contentment within ourselves, it makes it pretty difficult to find. Um, a sustainable, solid, healthy relationship. Right. That's completely true. And I'm just thinking about the most successful people who work with us in terms of finding love. And we do have a very high success rate, but the most successful people are the ones who are positive and who have done work on themselves and who are coming into the experience expecting to just have a good time being open-hearted, open-minded, enjoying the day, the matches that we, who we match them with and kind of being light about it rather than this has to work. Otherwise my life is over. Those, the people who are more of the victim eyesers and who blame everyone for them, blame the matchmakers or blame the dates, whatever it is for their, their unhappiness, those memberships are the most challenging and sometimes don't work because it is so much of that internal work that needs to happen. And I'm just thinking about one of our lovely bachelorettes who is in a, a beautiful relationship with actually the first man who we matched her with. And she's one of the first categories. She came into it very positive, but still it's not like she hasn't been through difficult relationships in the past, she, she had patterns and we really worked through the pattern of what was going on and she would have year upon year relationships and then it would end. And we, we talked about why that was happening. And, and then she ended up going and doing a membership, as I mentioned, and meeting an incredible man. And now they're together and she's changed a lot of those patterns. But even so, she was just she was just such a delight to work with. And she said, whatever happens, I'm enjoying this. And I know that it's bringing me closer in my relationship with God, as well as a deeper understanding of myself and, and just a journey and an adventure. It's interesting because I think that approach, that attitude and perspective is um, a predictor of one's life experience. Right. In other words, if you're seeing the world as a hospitable place and that it is filled with the possibility of love and that you see yourself as a loving person, potential partner, and the world is a hospitable place, as I mentioned, you're more likely to end up partnering with somebody, the right person. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's 
it's it's also just allowing yourself to be open to love that you might not expect. And I say this because sometimes people have gone through traumatic situations and yeah, there are wolves out there. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And women who are not good for you. But at the same time, to to just realize that those were experiences you learned from them, they weren't right. But to kind of almost take yourself out of that situation and not judge all men because this one man hurt you in that way. And also something that's really interesting that I've been talking to one of our bachelorettes this week is in her forties and she had just gone through a string of relationships, bad relationships with men. And she was repeating a lot of difficult family dynamics in these relationships. And she would connect initially with a man because he had gone through a similar upbringing, traumatic upbringing that she did. So she would find this immediate spark with these men, mm. but a lot of times they hadn't done the work on themselves that she had done on herself. And the release, this would just happen over and over man after man. And she, other men, who she wasn't connecting with and she didn't feel that chemistry with immediately, she would dismiss and she would think, okay, I don't have it with him. I have an amazing, I've, I've experienced amazing connections. This is not it. So I'm just going to move on from the good guys. Generally, usually <laughs> the ones yeah. good <laughs> those of us that like the bad boys, you know, when a good boy <laughs> comes along, it's hard, you know, it's like, Oh, he's so nice. What do you do yeah. with so nice? <laughs> <laughs> right. right. And and even if they might not even know exactly, they might be wary of any man, even if he is that nice. But little by little, just knowing that in the beginning, especially first date, there's usually if it's the right man for you, it's not going to be fireworks. I'm just being honest. And I have to tell this over and over again to our bachelors and bachelors, but especially the women, because a lot of people are conditioned to thinking that unless you have that Hollywood experience, then move on because it's easy to move on to the next wife. But typically so often our bachelors and bachelorettes will are, they'll tell us, Oh, it's kind of a lukewarm date. I don't know if I want to go out with him again. And then we encourage them please give it a second chance. Everyone's nervous on first date. And then when they do, we've had so many just marriages from, from that. They give the man a chance. They see his true personality come out. And then little by little, they're able to trust. You, trust is not immediate. It has to be earned and it has to be little by little. It's like peeling an onion when you're getting to know someone. Little by little, you're revealing more, but always maintaining boundaries. Um, the boundaries that a really the release kind of relationship require uh, because you don't want to give away too much too soon. Otherwise you do have that, that fire, that amazing connection. But a lot of times it, it's um, like a wildfire it goes yeah. constantly. And then it, you need to burn it out. You need to um, 
damp it down because it's too much and then the relationship burns. You know, also, as you're speaking, what comes to mind is risk management, right? Like that by going to a matchmaker, you're mitigating some of the risk. There are no guarantees. Um, and you are also learning to take healthy risks. And if we come from a pattern where there is some some heavy baggage in the background and we're able to work with that and then arrive to the party with this sort of curious perspective, I can see that the risk becomes more easy to embark upon. Yes, that is completely true. And it really can be one of those things that, and I was actually listening to one of your podcasts from a few years ago, Lisa, and you were talking to this doctor who said that one of, he had this group of people together and a woman immediately saw this, this tall man who was a former alcoholic and she just dismissed him basically. She wouldn't talk to him. And he asked her, why did you do that? And it was because her former, I think her, her ex-husband or something like that had those issues. And she judged him based on that, even though he had no anger problems whatsoever. And very often that will, people will come in to matchmaking and, and not all the time. As I mentioned, we have, we work with incredible people, but sometimes people will have these prejudices and say, okay, deal breaker, deal breaker. I don't want that. Can't, 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 can't. And it's just about experiences that they've had with people with similar characteristics, but those aren't true for everyone. It's more superficial. Well, we have this visceral memory, right? And and, the, and because the brain has a negativity bias, we carry forward all those things that we don't want from those prior relationships. And like mm-hmm. our trip, our trip wires are are flipped, you know, or or, or 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 touched when we see that, you know, particularly in the case where there's been substance abuse or violence um, in the fi- in the family history. I think that that becomes um, at the forefront of the of the ch- checking off what we don't want. Right. And of course, there are certain things that you want as deal breakers. And it's good to have certain deal breakers, but we always encourage our clients to do a list of five internal qualities that they're looking for in their future wife or their future husband. And to really let those be their backbone throughout the journey. And that other things can be a little more flexible. And I'm laughing because as you're talking, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I have a girlfriend. Oh, sure. Her name sure. is Sherry. I'm just going to call her Sherry for this okay. conversation. Sherry's in Great. her early 60s. She goes, my only requirement is that they have hair. <laughs> no, I'm like, you're an easy mark, girl. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> she says, really, if they, if they don't have hair, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. But I mean, she's being, you know, facetious and, and, and shallow, but you know, it's, yeah. it's funny. Nonetheless, no, it is. It is. And it's different for men and for women. Men are very just visual creatures and it's important that they're very attracted. It just, and women have to be attracted as well, but there are other things that are extremely attractive for women that don't always include the physical appearance. Yes. Like humor. Mm-hmm. Humor always at top on the list. Yeah. Um, a lot of times and just, and stable career is also really important for most you know, men. Hit, hit the, hit the top, the top criteria. We, we don't have that much time left, but I would love for you to, to, to share like sort of the top five things that, that men look for in women and women look for in uh, men. Great. 
Okay, I'm going to start with men because we just talk about this every single day because women don't know this. <laughs> I want them to. So men, just simple. When they come in, this is just so prevalent. They want a woman who is passionate about something else in her life other than him. That's, and a lot of women have that already, which is great. But they just they don't want a woman who's dropping everything for him, even though Women might think, oh, I have to be accommodating for him. No, obviously to have a relationship, you have to make time for the person, but he wants a woman with, who has her own life. So that's number one. Number two, they love femininity. This is huge, especially because there are so many amazing girl bosses out there who who are rocking at their careers and doing amazing things. But it is that little relearning, that femininity that they have inside. But during the day, we're power women. We have to get things done. So that femininity is huge. We're going to take a break. And before we do, I want to give contact information for my guest today, Christina Panetta, to learn more about her work. Please visit www.matchmakersinthecity.com on Twitter at MatchmakersITC, and on Facebook, Matchmakers in the City. Here comes the break. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests, Dr. Jackie Del Rosario and Christina Pinetta, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Please go out and rock your day and remember to be kind to each other. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with TogiNet Radio, KBUURadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.